0: Welcome to The One Up Project. Money is fuel that that allows you to do things. It doesn't need to be taboo. What you don't want to do is wake up at 65 realising you did something you hated and have regret. Go and find people who will give you advice for nothing. This is a space for personal growth and money chat with new perspectives every Monday. This bit of content, listening to this, is going to be a small little breadcrumb of something that makes them think a little bit differently. For all the things we were never taught but should have been, at the end of the day, the most important person is yourself, and if you're not happy with your own choices, then you're never going to be happy. Kia ora to anybody listening to this episode today. Welcome back to another episode of the One Up Project podcast. We are talking money today. But not just any kind of money, we're talking about spending money and why we do it. Subconscious bias, we're going to talk about four biases that make us spend more money. It has been inspired by a book I read recently called The Choice Factory by Richard Shotton. 25 behavioural biases that influence what we buy. Now this book is a manual for marketeers, people in marketing who are wanting to sell people more stuff and work out the vulnerabilities of society and how they can just get into our minds that little bit more and make us spend money that we do not have on things we most likely do not need. And so I read this book because while I'm in marketing, it was given to me by a work colleague and it's probably not something I would go out of my way and choose, but I thought, hey, I love reading and it was recommended, like on the back of the book, where they have the little wrecks by different people, it was recommended by an author of another book that I really enjoyed, uh, a marketing book called Alchemy by Rory Sutherland, and I enjoyed that one, if you were interested in, in other marketing books, but this book was, it was very black and white in the sense that, how it was written I mean, as in it was like, here's the bias, here's the way you can use it in marketing, next chapter, so as a Read it was quite boring, but it gave a lot of insight into the biases as to how we can sell to people better. So, I thought let's switch this narrative around, let's make this an episode where we talk about the other side of it, which is how we can understand our own vulnerabilities, our own psychological vulnerabilities better, so we can stop ourselves from spending more money on stuff we don't need and sort of work out how, or be more aware of how this marketing works, because I think so often we might know that things are marketing to us or that it's, you know, trying to build a perception that we need this thing. But, you know, our subconscious bias works to impact us in every way, always. And that's something I have tried to unpack so much in my own life is like my own subconscious bias and how to understand that better, and make sure that it's not impacting me in a negative way. So I've outlined four biases, there's actually 25 in the book, but I've taken four that I think are the most relevant from a spending point of view that we can all learn, and that will be helpful for us, and then I've done honourable honorable mentions at the end. So these are things I just thought were interesting um, in terms of how we think that we should all maybe pay a little bit more attention to. The first bias is social proof. If you don't know what social proof is, it is essentially brands or businesses telling us how much other people love their stuff and that's why we should buy it too. Think about testimonials and reviews and little quotes like on the book I just referred to, things like that, that's social proof. Other people have enjoyed this thing. So we're bound to enjoy it too. Let's buy this thing so we don't miss out. Uh, so basically it's the concept that if others are doing it, you should as well. And this is why popular brands become so much more popular because over time they gather more and more and more of this social proof and this reasoning as to why we should also engage in this business's stuff. A really common and more modern version of social proof is influencers. So if we think about how influencers and influencing works online on social media, it is a relatable and relevant source that you trust, that you maybe you relate to in some way, that maybe you feel connected to in some way. They're doing something or they're using something, a product or a service. So you then feel being aligned with this person that you should be doing that too because if they're doing it and they're loving it and it's making their life better, then the chances are it's going to do the exact same for you as well. I do ads on my social media. I'm sponsored by brands uh, every so often as well, so I'm definitely not excluded from this category and I thought that maybe I'd use myself as an example so that you can also be aware of the marketing that that's happening uh, while I'm sharing things. And of course, you know, this has nothing to do with the... Um, sponsorship being authentic because that is without a question always something I do and I think something so many other influencers do as well is make sure every brand partnership is completely authentic and aligned with them but this is more just about the fact of like what happens psychologically no matter what and when I share something so say I was sponsored by Sharesies the investing platform I've actually never been sponsored by Sharesies but let's use them as an example so Sharesies sponsors me to talk about investing with them. You hear another influencer also talking about sharesies and this was happening a lot I think in that post-COVID boom where everyone was investing and people used the term sharesies like for investing, like people used the term Google for researching, Google it and it was like are you on sharesies, it was never are you investing, it was always are you on sharesies and so the more people that spoke about that and including influencers who may have been talking about that brand, uh, either sponsored or not sponsored, and there were definitely other investing platforms that had this campaign going as well, Hatch was one of them, they sponsored me, you feel like you should be a part of this as well, you should be investing, you should be doing all of these things, and investing is a really positive optimization on your existing financial Plan in your existing financial system, but no matter what, you're still susceptible to the influence of the people that are are talking about this specific platform or this specific way of doing things. And the most important thing you can do when this happens, from my perspective, and this counts for anything I talk about or I see influencers, other influencers talking about or promoting, you need to understand yourself well enough to know whether or not this is a worth it purchase or move for you. For me, I know that I am someone who values investing and knows that the compounding effect will have many benefits for my financial situation long term. So investing is something I really want to do. And if I was influenced, let's say, or persuaded in ways to use a certain platform as a result of the people I was watching and talking to, then that's totally fine because I was intending on investing anyway. It completely aligns with the person I want to be and the things I want to do. So that's great and I think probably for the business a sign of a successful marketing campaign too when the people who already feel aligned to those things are convinced in ways to use your platform. The way where this becomes negative is when you're influenced to do something that you maybe didn't even want to do but you now feel that you need to do it or buy it as a result of FOMO because everyone else around you is doing it as well. I would ask you to ask yourself, is everyone doing it or are you just experiencing FOMO as a result of everyone on your stories that day doing it? I spoke to my friend about this maybe it was ages ago like six months ago to a year ago but I always remember the conversation because she said everyone always looks like they're having such a great life on social media and I I know that's not always the case and people don't show their most vulnerable um, sad down times but I just can't get out of my head that being on social media always feels like everyone's living their best life. And when you think about it, you don't view each person's individual story considering their life context and experience. You view Instagram stories as one whole experience. So if you see five different people's days and all of them were great and they all did these things, your experience is that people generally live great lives and are happy. Your experience isn't this individual person had this day, but they probably also were experiencing this and this person. like You don't look at it at an, at an individual level. You look at it as this one view of truth in society. Black Friday is another example. So much marketing around this. And I think it's really important to take a step back and just assess for yourself. Outside of this one context where you're looking at all these people's stories, is this actually reality? of what you want and what you want to do with your life. Sounds kind of deep when we're talking about Instagram stories, but this stuff is deep and it really gets into our mind. So I would just take a second to analyse and establish what you want personally. Does it align with what you're seeing? When you take a step back, is it really everyone's doing it or is it just what you're seeing everyone do on your stories that day? Just give second thought to those a million reviews or testimonials you see that are convincing you that everyone is doing something and you're not. Okay, bias number two is payment that is made more accessible makes you spend more. This is the case for so many things in life, like the more accessible something is, the easier it is, and this can work both in a really positive, helpful, beneficial way for people, or it can be really detrimental, negative impacts on people's lives. And it can absolutely, spending made more accessible can absolutely impact your spending behaviour. The biggest example of this that I know we can all probably relate to is PayWave. Just the access of being able to tap your card and go, you don't even look at the price. Like if you know you have money in your account, you're just tapping that card and you're just walking out of the store. You don't even care what the price is. I've seen this so many times and because I've been helping myself recently, right? I've been making all these different bank accounts for all my different expenses. I have a groceries account. And so when I go and buy groceries, I'm not even registering how much money I'm spending, I'm just like knowing that I have money in my groceries account and just tapping my card and going and that's it, that's like the extent of the thought and having paywave makes things not only more accessible but it makes it feel less real and maybe that's just because humans, we haven't actually adjusted to having such easy technology in a value exchange perspective yet, I don't know, but definitely PayWave makes spending a lot easier and a lot more accessible. A stat that came out of this book was that people paying with cash typically overestimate their spend by 9%. So if you're paying with cash, things feel more expensive. You really feel like the value exchange there, like you're giving away money for something. So the payment feels so much real, um, so much more real than when you're just tapping your card. The same thing happens with Google Pay. You know how you can save your account details in whatever online website you're using and so you go to pay for something at checkout and it's just use your card details done it's all in there paid for you're not even having to click more than three buttons in that process it's crazy and so I purposefully don't save my account details online because I can't have that access to my money so easily (laughs) like it needs to be an extra effort for me to buy something online I have to get my card out type in all the numbers individually because that is what is going to actually make me consider in the moment, is this worth it? And trust me, it works. Like I actually get put off doing things because I'm lazy and I have other options for things to be easier if I wanted them to. But I've made this purposefully hard for myself so that I have to stop and think about it. I definitely know I'll check my bank account sometimes after using PayWave all the time. Even just my card in general. And I'm like, where has all my money gone? I swear I had so much money and I swear I haven't even spent that much and that's because you're chronically underestimating the amount of money you're spending when you just tap your card and a lot of people use this hack for budgeting is they give themselves an allowance of money every week and they actually get that money out in cash so it feels so much real, so much more real and you're able to kind of track what you're spending a whole lot easier. I feel that that is a little bit less Uh, likely to happen nowadays just because of the nature of everything and also covid sort of changed that cash environment and made everything a lot more cashless we live in a cashless society and all those sort of things so it's a lot less likely that that would happen now but there are definitely ways you can avoid this like not using PayWave, always having to like physically do the card thing not save your card details just making that process a bit more manual for yourself Another way that prices can be made more accessible for us is through the way that they are presented to us. So gym memberships, for example, they're never presented to you as an annual fee. They're always presented to you as a weekly price because it's so much easier to digest the weekly price than the annual price. You're like, 25 bucks a week? That's, that's nothing. I can do that, and charities do the same thing, like a dollar a day, breaking it down to the most accessible amount possible so that you find it so much easier to digest spending that amount of money. Also, a really interesting uh, point that came out of this book was that removing the dollar sign from menus at restaurants boosts sales by 8%, or did at least in this study that the author is referring to. And have you ever noticed when you go to really fancy restaurants, so it's always the more expensive restaurants, but actually sometimes it's those little, like, street eateries as well, they do this, where they take the dollar sign off the menu item, so it'll just say 14 instead of $14, this actually tricks your mind into thinking that things are cheaper. Basically, these are all just little mind tricks, perception tricks that businesses will play on us to convince us that we are not spending as much and therefore will be happy with the experience of what we are spending but are then also more likely to spend more on other things aside or an extra drink. When the price is made less painful, you are more likely to buy. And even when the options are made less painful, so if you think about There's a classic business example of this, I think it's a McDonald's order where they've priced it so that the medium combo price is always going to be the most desirable choice and I might be getting this example wrong, but it's basically the example is showing us that brands will give us options so that we make a certain choice. And it's easier for us to buy because it's easier for us to work out what is the most value for us. Okay, bias three is marketing will try and get you when you are vulnerable and when it's personalized. These were some really interesting points around when consumers feel most vulnerable. So therefore, when we're most susceptible to hearing advertising messaging. And I think this is like so interesting. And the book talks about ethics as well and how when it, why doing this is ethical and effective which I found hilarious because I'm like touching on the way people's minds work when they're not even aware of that themselves like can you in any instance call that ethical I don't know I feel I need to do some more reading into (laughs) ethics and how that works and how marketing and social media and data comes into play with things that we don't actually know are happening in the background. Like marketing is a form of manipulation in so many ways and so is negotiation and so all of those things. And they don't have to be negative. They can have some of the most positive impacts ever, but they can also be used for such negative purposes and finding an ethical balance in that um, seems almost impossible. But some of the interesting things that came out of it was that, for example, consumers are more likely to be in a better mood at the cinema than when commuting. So a lot of people might put ads on a billboard when people are commuting because they have the time to kind of look at it. But when they're not in as good of a mood, they're less susceptible to advertising we might be tired we might be impatient we might be irritable it's less we're less likely to be susceptible to these advertising messages but when we're at the cinema we are locked in to viewing that ad and we're also in a good mood because maybe we're more relaxed we might, be, we might be with friends we might be about to see a movie that we've been looking forward to watching for a while so in many ways we're vulnerable because we have a much better state of mind and we're also locked into to viewing Those ads, and when you feel low and sad, ads that are high energy, for example, are really difficult to watch. So, you spend less time watching the ad, and the ad is therefore less effective. But then, of course, you could reverse this to work in your favor as well, where you approach that difference in mood in a different way and marketers I suppose have the data now because so much of our data is available to be able to work out when we may or may not be in specific moods when we're at our most vulnerable and so they personalise their advertising and personalization is also a whole other type of bias that we are susceptible to where if things are made relevant to us relatable to us but in a very localised way Uh, we are much more susceptible to the marketing. So if someone is trying to talk about getting blood donations up in a certain country, they won't refer to it on a country basis. They might refer to it on a suburb basis so that you feel like you need to contribute to your local community and are therefore more likely to donate blood. Or if an email, a product email has your first name in the title or throughout the email and you feel like it's a personal message to you, you're more likely to read it and pay attention. And I know this might sound trivial or cliche or things we've all heard before, but just take notice of the subject lines mark it marketing emails that you're more likely to open. I know for me, I'm so much more likely to open an email when it looks and feels like someone has sent that to me personally and like personally given me the discount code or personally given me the inside scoop on like the new season's release of clothes or whatever is happening. Emails are still one of the highest converting marketing tools and... Definitely, I know that works for me. I'm not going to lie. If you follow me on Instagram, you would have seen I posted all these marketing emails that were coming into my inbox of Black Friday, and I definitely need to unsubscribe, but I'm at a point in that email specifically where it's just, you know, your junk email where you sign up for everything in that email, so I can't even be bothered going through it, but I for sure still read marketing emails that come through. Like, if someone's having a sale, I'm looking. I want to see what's on sale. I'll stop my work and I'll click into my phone. I definitely do that and am very much someone who gets sucked in by marketing emails. So I just think it's worth having a look at what pulls you in and then being more aware of that bias is going to help you spend less, be more vulnerable to the techniques that these marketing teams are using as well. The last main bias we are talking about today is expectancy bias or expectancy theory, sorry. So this is when your expectations of a product shape the performance of the product. So the book refers to a study that was done where they were sharing brownies with people and basically running a survey to try and get the people to work out what the nicer brownie was. So they had two different groups, same brownie, and the brownie was just served in different ways. So on, in one group, the brownie was served on a paper plate. In the other group, the brownie was served on like a nice china plate. And the group that had the brownie served on the nicer China plate uh, on average reported that they preferred the brownie by X percent more than the group where it was served on the paper plate. And this bias leads into so many other things like alcohol, for example, a nicer label or good packaging or whatever all plays into how we expect that the product itself will perform. So a wine with a nicer label is going to taste better to you than a wine with a shittier label. And it's really interesting because people often, I feel like you're either in two camps when it comes to marketing. Like you either think it's just a hoax and it doesn't work at all and it's just useless and pointless, or you think that it is incredibly... Effective and uh, manipulative in the best and the worst of ways, and I definitely am in that camp where I think good branding can assist you in providing a, a perception of your product so much better. And whether you like it or not, it seems that presentation is does matter, and it does matter to you even if you don't think you are affected because your experience will be impacted. And value in itself, like what is. Valuable, what you're willing to pay for something, how good something is, like what is valuable is so subjective to the individual person or objective. I don't even know the difference between those two words. I'll look it up later. But it completely depends on what's put in front of you, mixed with your subconscious bias and previous lived experience. That is what value is to you. And I had a conversation about this with a friend recently, well, it was actually ages ago, but we spoke about what value actually means in business and value to me is purely what someone else recognizes it to be you might know the quote beauty is in the eye of the beholder just replace beauty with value and it's the same thing like what you're willing to pay for something is completely determined by what the brand puts in front of you and how you perceived it, perceive it based on your own subconscious bias and lived experience you might pay $30 for a bottle of wine that someone would only pay $15 for and that is purely just down to your personal perception. And so what marketing is trying to do is find the vulnerabilities, the general vulnerabilities in your perceptions and work to overcome that and convince you that this thing matches maybe your your expectation of what it should be. I don't think we should have low expectations because this is almost like placebo, right? If something is in certain packaging, we think it's going to be more effective or better. This happens with painkillers all the time. I think I read in this book, actually, it was like painkillers that have the color red are more likely to be seen as more effective because people associate red with, I can't remember what they said they associated it with, but like, I guess pain, dying, something going away, being effective, like that was what they saw red as being, as opposed to someone who had their painkillers colored blue. But anyway, putting my uneducated opinions aside, I think that this perception or this bias is really important to be aware of, as they all are, so that you can understand where you might be getting convinced. They say don't judge a book by its cover, but we all do, I definitely do it, I am I literally judge books by their covers and I do that on so many products as well. Just remember that you are more susceptible to thinking something is either better or worse as a result of the way that it was marketed to you. I've been really trying to de-influence myself recently because I'm hoping to do some more long-term travel next year and I'm not a minimalist but I definitely try to keep my belongings as minimal as possible. And there's so many things I want to buy for summer, you know, new wardrobe, etc. I'm trying to tell myself I don't need these things, but I'm also trying to work out where my weaknesses lie from a spending perspective and from like a life overview perspective so I can work out what I actually need and don't need and what is just going to give me joy for a temporary amount of time and what's actually going to be a good lifelong staple from a product perspective. So the, being aware of these biases is going to help me do that. But also having a good understanding of who I am as a person is going to help me do that. So here are some notable mentions of the other things, or just other concepts in this book that I thought were interesting. And I'm just going to ra- rattle, rattle them out, off sentence by sentence. So the first one is that hearing something more than twice means you're more likely to believe it. The first thing I thought of when I heard, heard this was cancel culture straight away, I have such a complicated relationship with holding people accountable through cancel culture, and I thought about how so often the perception of people online is very wrong, and how someone might comment something on a TikTok comment section, and this just shows my online behavior, and it's got like 20,000 likes, just because someone has said that does not mean it's true, If you see that and you see it's been backed up by 20,000 people who also don't know what they're talking about and another person commented the same thing, you're more likely to believe it and it might not even be true and think about that, like you can go through your whole life with a perception of someone that's not even true as a result of your own bias, as a result of seeing a comment written twice. And I think that's just so upsetting for people who make mistakes because it shows that if you are perceived wrong in some way or you aren't given forgiveness to become a better person, these comments that are said and mentioned multiple times over and over become reality and truth for the people who see and hear them and it's just an unfortunate thing that not all of us can be aware of the biases that impact how we see and view things and people and I'm definitely susceptible, I don't know how many times I've said that bloody word in this episode but I'm definitely vulnerable to those things as well and I try my hardest not to be it's really important in my life that I strive to remove as much ignorance from from my view as possible but of course my entire perspective on life is is determined by my own lived experience as is yours but trying to be aware of the fact that truth is not black and white and it's very gray I think is important to not villainize people all the time and to have more empathy for people in society as well. Another interesting one from a personal brand and business perspective is that hearing flaws makes a business more desirable and I'm going to assume that this works for people as well, like it's more endearing when we meet someone who is also a little bit quirky or goofy or clumsy or doesn't know what they're doing or makes silly comments or gets things wrong or makes mistakes Knowing that other people have flaws, other businesses have flaws, makes them seem more relatable, of course, and makes us like them more, which I think is just a funny little trait of humans. There was a gambling study done where unearned money was more likely to be spent on clothes, alcohol, tobacco and gifts. It's called the winner's curse. You win a bit of money, get a bit of money that you didn't have before. You're more likely to spend it on wants than you are needs. So just be aware of that. If you get, say, scholarship money given to you in your bank account that you can spend on whatever, aka my experience, you win a lotto, you win some money at the casino, you get gifted Money through inheritance or something like that, you get a pay rise. Be really conscious of where that money is coming from. I know the pay rise is earned money, but as in it felt like it was just given to you and you won something. So just be more aware of when those increases in money are happening and what you're doing with those increases as well. And the other thing that I thought was interesting is that you spend more on payday. I'm sure we can all relate to this. I definitely do it. I'm like, I got paid today. Well, we are getting strawberries and whitakers today <laughs> because strawberries have been $6 and I just cannot justify it, but I will get it if I have been paid on that day. And that's everything. That's all I have to talk about today. Overall, brands are going to find you at your most vulnerable and that's why marketing is so effective and I hope that you feel a little bit more aware of your own vulnerabilities throughout this podcast and ultimately it's just important to understand yourself best because then you know exactly why you might feel compelled to act a certain way that maybe doesn't align with your goals and then you're even more likely to act in a way that does align with your goals because you can kind of reorientate yourself and your actions. Thank you so much for listening everyone, I can't wait to hear from you on Instagram at the one up project And we will talk very, very soon. appreciate you all. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The One Up Project. If you want to find more stuff just like this, check out our other apps or follow us at The One Up Project on Instagram or TikTok. See you there.